Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messenger winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it shall never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to a place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. And then the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the wood badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
Father, we come before you as your bond slaves, bond slaves through the power of Jesus, who, as we read, has set us free that we might live unto righteousness. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, to be shaped by your word today according to your perfect wisdom. Amen. You see the place. such a privilege to be here today with my family and, uh, and Rich has been such a blessing to me over many, many years, many decades. Psalm 104 is a psalm that shows us the works of God and the privilege that we have to join God in his work. This psalm has become very important to me for a lot of years, but especially the last few years. I have the privilege of spending some time at the Downtown Rescue Mission in Huntsville for about five years now. I teach a number of different classes. And the Downtown Rescue Mission in Huntsville is, has two parts to it. There's what's called the shelter side, which is where anywhere from 200, 300 men and women every night come and Maybe some of them work and they come and they live there and stay overnight and have a meal. Some just stay during the day. And then they have what's called a life recovery program, which many people from the shelter side will move over to the program. It's a one-year program. Most of them have you know, some pretty deep addiction issues. Uh, it's a very Christ-centered biblical program. And one of the classes I get to be involved in there is called the work class. It's uh, taught every quarter. The program has four quarters, and you move through it, so it's a third quarter class. And I teach three times every quarter in the work class. And the part I teach is just a biblical view of work. And I usually start the first class or the first hour with Genesis 1. We'll use a Bible project video and just go through the beauty of God's work. But then the second class, I usually devote the whole thing to Psalm 104. And we'll read through it, I'll stop a lot, we'll discuss a lot, I'll be sharing some of the things I learned from the students at the mission and the program through that discussion. But the heart of this psalm that we always end up developing at the mission and I want to develop here today is just sheer joy. Joy in work. Joy through work. And I want to develop four ways that we find joy in this psalm, joy in our work. The first is joy in providing good things. So verses 1 through 23 of this psalm, as I said, the whole psalm is really a meditation on Genesis 1. And so 1 through 23, take what often scholars will call from Genesis 1, that there's a structure there of forming the first three days of creation, forming and then filling filling with creatures that take up and find joy in what God has formed. And so the first part in the psalm itself reflects that. Verses 1 through 10 are a poetic description of the forming, and then 11 through 23, a description of the filling, of the joy that God fills that creation with. Now, this is a little bit of a silly example, but it really captures something important to me. My favorite TV show is Triple D. What a driver, di, diners drive, I always get it wrong. Diners drive-ins and dives or whatever it is. 
But I love that show. Now, the food and a lot of things that are made are fun to watch, but primarily the reason I love that show is the passion of the people making the food and the joy they take in that food being enjoyed and eaten. So every segment of that show, there's always two parts to each segment. One is a segment in the kitchen. So you'll see the chef or the owner of the restaurant and the things they make. So say it's a pizza restaurant. And usually the owner, I mean, he makes his own dough. You know, he wouldn't dare go buy it from Kroger anywhere. He's got to make it himself. He makes his own sausage, you know, that sits for five days to be, you know, for everything to mix just right. I mean, just tremendous passion. And then he makes his own sauce from tomatoes he grows out behind the restaurant because he wouldn't dare trust those tomatoes to anybody else. It's just amazing, the passion that they put into this food. And so then the other segment, other part of every segment, is people eating the food. And so the guy will go out and somebody's eating that pizza and you know they're just making noises as they eat it like uh, Bill Murray and What About Bob? You know, that scene where he's eating and he's just groaning. And, and then almost every segment, somebody will be enjoying that food and they'll say, you know, the reason I come here is because they put so much love into this food. And I can just feel the love in this restaurant. Well, that captures the flow of what we see in the first part of this psalm. Is that God forms, God is the one in the kitchen shaping and forming the creation. And then he's filling it with creatures to enjoy, to rejoice, to sing. The birds singing in the air and the creatures enjoying the goodness of God through his creation. It's a beautiful picture. And so the joy that is pictured here is that God is providing good things. I took the good things from verse 28, but, but God here is delighting to, to provide good things and he takes great joy in it. But then he makes humans and humans come in in verse 14 and verse 23 in some crucial places in this psalm. So humans come in both like the other creatures to enjoy the creation but also to be made in God's image to mirror his work to bring joy to others, to bring further good things out of the creation. You know, we're taught in this psalm like we're taught all through the scripture, and I know Rich and Peter and y'all are so well taught in this congregation, that we are made, we as human beings are made from the earth and for the earth. You know, we're not platonic, eternal souls kind of floating around and then we get kind of plugged into a body for a little while so that we can get back out of that body at some point. That is not who we are. That is not our essence. We are made just like the other creatures and yet we're crowned with glory and honor, as Psalm 8 says, to rule and to bring mastery over God's creation, to cultivate, to bring forth good things, to move things from disorder to order to bring forth good things for the sake of others. And we're to take great joy in doing that. One of the things that's been so fun at the mission is we teach through this and, you know, most of the folks come from blue collar backgrounds. I mean, there's some that are computer programmers and business owners, but, you know, most have had uh, pretty blue, blue collar uh, jobs. And so we, we talk about this a lot, and especially when we read through this psalm, I'll stop a lot and say, what does this mean? What would this mean for the work you've been involved in, for the work you're involved in now? 
One of the, a couple of months ago, one of the men shared, and, and part of the life recovery program is all the men and women there work in jobs to support the shelter side of the downtown rescue mission. So one of the guys, we were thinking this through and, and trying to capture the joy that we see in this song. And he said, well, I've got a laundry job. I'm working in the laundry room. And he said, one of the things that happens all the time is the people from the shelter side come and all, are always asking for socks. Now, a lot of the people on the shelter side are in and out of the mission. Some of them will go live, you know, under a bridge in I-565 for a week and come back in. So, you know, they're closed and everything gets pretty beat up. And so they're always needing clean socks. And he said, generally, when they come and ask for socks, it's kind of a pain. It's like, okay, I've got my processes in the laundry room and they need socks and I got to stop and go find a couple socks. And he said, you know, I'll probably get a kind of a nasty look on my face. But he said... What this tells me, and he, he thought this through his own, he said, what this tells me is that I need to rethink my processes in the laundry room so that I can always have socks available. So when they come to the door and need socks, I can say, yeah, I got some right here for you. Now, one of the things that's interesting is the people in the life recovery program have a real sense of wanting to give dignity to the people on the shelter side because that's where they've come from. And they understand how much it means to give dignity to them. So he thought, you know, I can reshape my laundry process to let them know that I'm so happy to provide those socks for them. You see, he's learning to take joy in providing good things. One of the other things that comes up a lot, a lot of the people in the third and fourth quarter of the program work in a thrift store. There's about 15 thrift stores that the Downtown Rescue Mission owns around Huntsville and helps support the ministry. So a lot of times they'll go and start working in a thrift store and usually their first job is working the back dock where people drop off boxes or bags of clothes. And so their job is to take those clothes, sort them through carefully with certain categories, men, women, you know, winter, summer, and shorts, long pants, and all that, to put them in certain categories so that the next person will be able to take them and get them moved to the rack quickly or cleaned up or whatever needs to be done. But one of the guys had shared, it is, I'm learning, he said, I'm learning through this that I really need to think about what I'm doing on that job because how diligent and excellent I do that sorting is going to affect the next person and their ability to keep moving these clothes forward and ultimately to bless customers and to bless the whole ministry through the money that we make. Again, a perfect picture of Psalm 104. He's learning to take joy in that work. Had another guy that's a construction guy. He's been a construction foreman and, and done a lot of uh, pretty significant construction, residential work. And he said this in reflecting on the psalm. He said, you know, normally I you know, go through my work, we lay the foundation, we frame the house, we put on the roof, we do the electrical and plumb, you know, do the electrical, do the sheetrock. And he said, you, you know, I've learned how to do it over the years and how to get people to do it right, and I try to do it excellent. But he said, he said, this gives me kind of a different image. He said, this makes me think that the excellence of the work we're doing with that house is because maybe a family will come in there with a little baby and put that little baby in a crib, and then when a storm comes along, they can be confident that that house is well built to care for their family and care for their baby. He said, boy, that would make my work so much more meaningful. And he said, and then, you know, I could figure out where the house is located and where the sun is and where we could put a flower bed 
to maximize the sun so that the wife can grow flowers. Again, what a beautiful grasping of work and the joy that we're to find in it, mirroring and mimicking and reflecting God himself. Let me give you one more example. as a bricklayer uh, that we were talking about these things and he had spent 30 years of his adult life laying brick and you know been in and out of jobs because of the addiction. And, but we were talking about this and he started... And he's a real talkative guy, a real interesting guy, you know, kind of tells you whatever's on his mind. And he said, he said, so he said, so I could lay bricks to the worship of God. Is that what you're saying? Is that what this I'm saying? I said, yeah. I said, you can worship God as you lay bricks. He said, because, you know, a lot of times, and then he went into this long explanation about all the wrong ways you can lay brick. All the ways you can be sloppy and shoddy with your work. You know, mixing the mortar and, and not being precise in your measurements or not remeasuring everything you did. And, and he said, you know, he said, he said, I've done that. He said, I've seen people do that. He said, I don't want to do it like that anymore. He said, I want to do it right because you're telling me and this psalm's telling me I can do it to bring joy in worshiping God. A couple weeks later, I was over at the mission and I saw Ricky. Ricky yelled down the hall. He said, come here. He said, let me show you something. And he took his phone and he said, I was over at Mickey's house. And Mickey Counter is one of the staff members, full-time staff members, a wonderful guy. He said, I was over at Mickey's house a couple weeks ago and Mickey showed me that he has a barbecue pit out behind his house that has you know, concrete and then some masonry, stonework laid over it. And it was breaking up, it was cracking up and you know, weeds were coming through, it was looking bad. And Ricky told me, he said, now, he said, let me show you, he said, this is why that's happened. He said, whoever laid this, they didn't do it the right way. And he started telling me all the ways they did it wrong. And he said, but we're going to redo the whole thing. And he said, and I'm going to do it right, piece by piece. And he said, it's going to last Mickey and his family forever. He was taking joy. Joy in doing work in the way God does work. I have a, in the work I do in real estate closing and title business, uh, I deal with a lot of investors, real estate investors, and real estate investors like to move really fast on everything. And so one of the things we have to do is we have to call or contact the probate, the Madison County Probate Office, often to get documents, older deeds and estate documents in order to keep the deal moving forward and get the title work done right. Well, I learned a couple of years ago there's a lady over there named Nancy, Nancy Tate, and I got her, got her email, and so I'll email Nancy, hey, I need deed so-and-so from 1962, or I need you know, case number so-and-so estate documents. And the reason we always email Nancy is because she gets them right back, and, and, you know, with a smiley face, and she always seems so cheerful to do it. But about a year ago, Nancy called me. I'd only emailed her, but she called me one day because she had a question on a request I'd made. And so we talked about it, and I told her, I said, Nancy... I said, you are such a blessing to our business. You are always so happy. You're so cheerful. You get things back so quick. And she said, well, I am so glad to hear that. She said, my daughter is a real estate agent. And I've learned that in real estate deals, if, if we don't do our job, if we aren't cheerful and giving y'all what y'all need, everything gets just stopped and things can't get completed. And again, Nancy is grasping Psalm 104. She's grasping what God has put in her heart and taking joy in providing good things. Let me give you another type of example. I was talking to Hunter, my son, a couple weeks ago. and 
in the new company he's working with, he was telling me how impressed he is in the way they write emails in this company. He said they're clearly thought through emails. You can read the email, know exactly what's going on, exactly what you need to do. And he and I had a good discussion about the importance of good emails because a lot of times in business, you'll get emails from somebody and it's kind of this stream of consciousness email where they just kind of, whatever was on their mind, they just wrote it. And so it's kind of woven in between a little bit of information and a little bit, of, I need you to do this and I'll do this. And, oh yeah, this happened. And so you ever get one of those and you got to read them like five times to say, okay, now wait a second. What are they saying and what's going on and what's new? And what are they asking me to do? And what are they saying they're going to do? And when's it supposed to be done by? And you got to kind of pull it apart to figure the whole thing out. Well, you know, that's a pain. But Psalm 104, in the image of God in me, tells me this. That when I write an email in business, I need to stop. I need to think it through. I need to lay it out. I need to put myself in the shoes of the other party. I need to put myself in the shoes of the whole transaction taking place and how things need to move forward. I need to carefully write the email to define new information, what I'm going to do, what I need you to do, when I need you done by. And I need to think that through, and we should take joy in doing that because we're providing good things for other people. We're providing the glory of God to be able to get something done and get things accomplished well. Hunter and I were talking that that's a professional thing to do, but I would say, yes, it is. But more importantly, it's a Christian thing to do. It's the way Christians need to think and operate and to find joy in worship and doing things like that. You know, homeschooling mothers, as you prepare for your day, find joy in the preparation and the hard work of putting the day together and preparing your lessons for your children. A software programmer, a Christian software programmer should carefully think through what is our contract and what does the customer really need and how are they going to use this software and what will make my boss pleased and really think it through and then find joy in laying out his software in that way. We've been involved in dance with our girls over the years. Ashley still dances with Huntsville Ballet. And I've been so impressed over the years of watching what goes into a ballet. And the labor, and you talk about labor. I mean, ballerinas and sets and pieces and how it all comes together. That is so much hard work. Yet we can take, Christians can take joy in then doing that to provide something beautiful. Because this psalm is not only about just sheer enjoyment and productivity, it's about beauty. It's about joy in these things. So God has joy in his labor. He has joy in the diligence of that labor and the creativity of that labor and going above and beyond in his labor because he's providing good things and then he makes you and I to do the same to mirror that in our work. I mean, my encouragement to you is to think about your work as you move into it tonight or tomorrow and ask God to connect dots in your work to God himself, to the creator, and to the good things you can provide the next person down the line or the customer or the boss or the coworker by your diligence, by your excellence, by your joy. The psalm shows us how to take joy in providing good things. Secondly, is we see not only joy in providing good things, but joy in God's works. Let me go back to verse 24. 
after he describes this forming and filling of God, he kind of steps back from the particulars of what he's been developed. And he says this in verse 24. Oh, Lord, how manifold are your works. In other words, he looks at the whole thing and says, God, what a glorious thing when I look at your works in creation, when I look at the productivity and the joy and the beauty of these things. And wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creature. Here's the sea, and he describes the things he sees and we read about in Genesis 1, and we see all around us. But then he says something very interesting. He says, there go the ships in Leviathan, which you formed to play there. In other words, he puts in this section what we might call man's works, but he describes those as God's works. And this tells us that part of what we can draw from this is to be amazed at God's works through human beings. Say you see a well-designed inventory system for a business. You know, we of all people should look at that and say, glory be to God that human beings can design a great inventory system, a very effective task management system, a piece of medical equipment that does exactly what it needs to be designed to do and it does it effectively. A beautiful ballet. God's works include the works that we do that we are called to do, that we are anointed to do, that we are empowered to do by God, and that we participate with God himself in those works and give testimony to his wisdom. We should be really attuned to that and help others to find joy in that. One of the, the privileges I have in my work now, especially with a lot of different real estate investors, is I get to meet a lot of people. And I get to meet a lot of people, and I get to ask them, you know, tell me about your work. What do you do for a living? And just sit and ask them questions about the things they do. I met a guy uh, about two weeks ago. He's head of a software company with defense work, which almost everything is, of course, in Huntsville. But he's, he designs software that does cost control for Army acquisitions. And so now, I mean, all that blows my mind. You know, I have to get my kids to say which button hit on the iPhone to get stuff done. But... So he started talking about it. So I told him, I said, I have no idea what you do, but I said, I'm fascinated. And so I started asking a lot of questions. And so this is this real sophisticated software that's kind of an overlay on army acquisition processes that is built to finely tune to be able to see if there's anything in an acquisition or a contract or a bid that seems a little bit out of line. And so he's constantly taking new data, feeding it into this software system, to be able to do it. He's got about six people that work with him and for him. It's really fascinating. I thought, that's just amazing. The grace of God, the witness of God to design systems like that. I have a regular uh, investor that I work with that is a plant manager in Huntsville. He's a plant manager over about 800 people. We have a blast talking about, you know, I'm always asking him a million questions about hiring and firing and training workers and motivated workers and all the supply chain issues, of course, so many manufacturing have had in the last couple of years. It's just fascinating. He's a Christian, and we talk, and a number of times I've just got to pray with him, just to pray for his work and, and just share with him. It's, you know, it's just amazing what you're doing and the grace of God and the things you're involved in. You see, as, as we absorb things like Psalm 104, 
And as we absorb God's passion for work, Christians ought to be the most interested people in all the world in other people's work. And we ought to be the people who marvel at other people's work and who are fascinated with their work and who ask them questions and who make comments just of God's wisdom in that work. A couple weeks ago, I did a closing for a lady and started asking her questions. She's a hospice worker. She works for a private hospice company up in Huntsville. And, and I could tell she really loves her work. So I started asking a lot of questions. What do you love about your work? What's hard about your work? Where do you get your heart broken? What are the struggles? And it was clear to me that she really had a, a love of giving dignity to people who are dying and really thinking through how to care for them and love them and give them dignity, especially ones maybe who didn't have family who were involved with them. So I got to encourage her from the scripture. We ended up praying. We ended up both crying together about her work. But what I hope and what I think is that she walked away and she made some comments to me as she did that, that our whole conversation had given her a new sense of God's love for her work and the joy that God wants her to take in it in being diligent and being a servant and doing it well. You know, God wants us to love his work and to love his work in the lives of other men and women and to rejoice in it, to marvel at it, to find it fascinating. It calls others to see that work with fresh eyes, with the joys of God. So first, we see here joy in providing good things. Second, joy in God's works. But then third in this psalm is joy in renewal. Joy in renewal. So first 29 is a little bit jarring or it may kind of throw us off when you first read it. All of a sudden, after all this joy and all these, the singing and the pleasure, we read this. When you hide your face, oh, whoa, where'd that come from? When you hide your face, they're dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. So here the psalmist in reflecting about Genesis remembers Genesis 3 of sin and rebellion and what it does to all of God's, God's creation, including all of the beauty of work that he's just described for us. And so we look around in our world, we look around in our own lives, we look at the businesses we work in, the professions we're in, and sin obviously disrupts the beauty of what we've just seen and described in Psalm 104. Instead of joy, instead of excellence, instead of worship and productivity and fellowship with God and pleasure in bringing good to others, you know, we go to the break room in our work and everybody just sits around and gossips and tells dirty jokes and fusses about the boss, right? We see so many different industries where there's shoddy and lazy workmanship. We think of corporate meetings that are often filled with greed, marketing meetings that are built on deceiving people. I think of the old song from probably 40 years ago, Johnny Paycheck, take this job and shove it. And that was a big song because a lot of people are like, yeah, take this job and shove it. We see labor management conflict in almost every industry, and that conflict is perpetuated often by people who on both sides benefit from the conflict rather than trying to bring reconciliation and productivity. We see lawyers... Sometimes they don't care about the damage they do to our culture through constant and just unending litigation. We see HR departments that have little time to develop 
their, their employees and to think through the best for their employees because they're so worried about getting sued. I mean, what a waste all that is. We see accountants at corporate headquarters who tell their project managers to instead of paying that plumber that they just used on a project, stretch out paying them for three months so they can hold on to that money a little bit longer. We see gifted artists in song and dance who can bless audiences, but then as we've seen in the dance world, so many of them end up in darkness and addiction and perversion. We see people who for them, it's like Johnny Paycheck, work is just mundane. It's just plowing through the day, clocking in, clocking out, and then for a lot of them getting home and getting a six-pack or a 12-pack or a shot of heroin or whatever they need to do to make things feel a little bit better. We see justice systems often where there's mistrust and partial justice. We see authorities in workplaces that abuse and oppress and workers who only complain and are frustrated and angry. We see signs of death in work all the time. And so what does God do about it? This psalm, there's just a quick mention of death, but then immediately, what do we read? Let me read verse 29 again. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die, return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. God is passionate about his earth, about us in it, about our work in it, and he is not going to leave this like that. He is going to rush to do something, to renew his earth, to send his spirit. Verse 30, he further, 32, he further describes this. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. And of course, that's Mount Sinai. But the picture is God coming to his earth to make things right, to shake things up, to renew things. The spirit here, of course, as he's meditating on Genesis, takes us back to Genesis 1-2. The spirit of the God hovering over, in the, hovering over the waters. We see in the old covenant again and again that the spirit is brought to bring order, to renew God's people, to restore their calling and authority and their effectiveness in what they're called to do. And of course, in the old covenant, we see a promise of a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit that God says yes to in Jesus Christ, the passage we read in John 7, through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus is the outpoured Holy Spirit to renew the face of the earth, to bring God's earth back to everything Psalm 104 described, but even with greater glory, with a greater manifestation of God's sovereign power and mercy. We really have over the last couple of years, it has been a joy so often at the mission seeing people get a feel and capturing this. I had a lady about a year ago, we were talking through this Genesis 1 and this psalm and she's probably about 60 years old and, and she raised her hand and she said, I spent my whole work life bitter, entitled, and angry. And she said, but at this mission, and I think the class had helped, but especially the, the female staff there who are extraordinary. She said, God is transforming me. She said, I go work the back desk at the shelter side, which is a hard job because you get people come in, you know, drunk, stoned, angry, and all kind of things you have to deal with. But she said, God is giving me joy in going back there and serving people now and trying to figure out what my bosses want done. 
she said, it is such a blast what God is doing in my life. You know, we talk about these things in that class a lot. We go to the scripture, talk about excellence and uh, how to reject negativity in workplaces, how to go the extra mile, how to respect authority, how to use authority to serve others. We talk a lot about the joy granted in creation and new creation that God pours out. We talk a lot about Joseph and Daniel and Ruth and the New Testament witnesses. But one passage that we, I come to in the teaching, surely in the third hour, that especially seems to kind of evoke the power of God to renew things in our work is 1 Peter 2, the passage that Cam read a few minutes ago. So 1 Peter 2, and I'll read the, I usually read the whole passage. We really talk through it slowly. And so here, Peter, in sharing what the Christian life looks like in his day, in his world, in his workforces of his day, tells Christian slaves to respect their bosses, to be diligent, really to be the best workers. And then he goes on to say, not only for the nice masters, but even for the unjust masters, or some translations say cruel masters. Now, I'll read that real slowly in the class, and inevitably, every time somebody will say, now, wait a second. They'll say, I worked for this guy 10 years ago, and they'll, you know, give me a right description of somebody. And they'll say, so you're saying, and I, of course, I'll say, wait a second, no, 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 and let's go back to this. You're okay, all right, all right. So God is saying, I'm supposed to respect that person. I'm supposed to work hard for that person. I'm supposed to do excellent work for that person and people like him or her? I say, yeah. So that's why it goes on to say that Jesus healed us by laying down his life so that we might live under righteousness. And then that's why it says that Jesus must come to be the shepherd of our souls because you can't do that if Jesus is not shepherding your soul from the inside out. And you are turning to him with an open hand to receive the glory of all that he's accomplished in our lives. But Peter's saying that is earth shaking for Christians to function like that. And we always have, we'll we'll end up almost every time talking 30, 40 minutes on that passage. Because people will start to process it. And they're such a teachable group of people. They'll say, okay, okay, all right, I'm going to try to get my mind wrapped around this. But as they do... They're driven to the glory of God, the love of God, and the power of Jesus Christ. If we're going to live like that, if we're going to be those kind of workers, those kind of people in the workplace. I mean, this is creation and new creation, the power of the living God, the renewal of his earth. You know, we should have witnesses in our workplace that go something like this. And if this doesn't happen on a semi-regular basis in our work, we You know, there's always things to learn and a lot of things for me to learn from this psalm again and again. But it ought to look something like this. Somebody comes up to you and says, man, I appreciate your hard work on this project. Boy, I appreciate how you were humble to listen and to work through a difficult issue and to kind of back up and come back to this thing and get it done the right way. And I really appreciate, you know, a lot of times customers ought to say things like to us, you know, you've really been patient. You know, I thought this thing was going to blow up and it wasn't going to happen, but You've been patient and you've been joyful through the whole thing. I really appreciate that. It's made it so much easier, you know, that you weren't huffing and puffing about everything and frustrated about things. Thank you for doing that. And then imagine 
that we might say something like this if God moves us to say it. They say that and we say, you know what, my pleasure. I love being a part of the renewal of the earth. Or I love it that God is shaking things up and I get to play a role in that. Now, if we were to say something like that, there'd be a lot of people that kind of look at you like, whoa, what is that? But I've had conversations and opportunities to say things like that with people in work situations. And a lot of times it's going like this. They say, I don't really know what you're talking about, but I kind of like the sound of it. Tell me a little bit more. <laughs> what are we talking about here? And a lot of times it's people that have written off the church. But that seems compelling to people's hearts to be a part of the renewal of the earth and to, have, and to back it up with our attitude, with the fragrance of our work, exhibiting something that we find joy in. I mean, I think a lot of people want to tap into that joy. They'd like a little bit of a piece of that. And, and my point of saying that is not to give you some kind of evangelistic script, but it's to say as you and I soak in the wisdom of God and the glory of God in his work and the work we're called to, as we walk it through, as we repent of the things that keep us from it, as we turn to Christ and his power to live this out, I'm saying you're going to have an unusual witness and a desperately needed witness in our world of the glory of Christ and his kingship. You know, and this opens us up to new things, to fresh things. The Ricky, the bricklayer, after a couple weeks later, I was teaching in another class, and Ricky seemed to something about seeing that God could claim his work, his labor as a bricklayer, seemed to really be opening up his heart to a lot of other things, to the grace of God and the love of God. And so we were in class one day talking about how God can reclaim all the mess of our lives, the darkness, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the abuse and addiction and disappointment to other people, how God can take all that and reclaim it in his grace because he's wanting to renew the earth and renew his creation. And Ricky, he was kind of halfway tongue-in-cheek, but he said, all right. He said, so you're telling me, and he pointed out front, and in the downtown rescue mission out front, out, outside the gates, a lot of people gather homeless people during the day. And the maintenance workers will say they go out there every day and there's needles all over the ground. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of a mess. But Ricky said, he said, so you're telling me I can go out there right now and I can go tell those people God can take your life and he can turn it into something beautiful. Is that what you're saying? And he was kind of grinning as he said it. I said, that's it, Ricky. I said, you can go do that today. He said, that's just amazing. But you see, I think God started opening up his horizon starting with work, with how God could reclaim in the things he's learned as a bricklayer that that could become part of God's redemption. And that made him excited about more and more of life that could be renewed and be reclaimed through Jesus Christ. We get the privilege of sharing that with people. So joy in providing good things, joy in God's works, joy in renewal, but then finally, joy in victory. Joy in victory. Let me read again verse 35. So after all these beautiful things of creation and new creation and renewal, all of a sudden we read this. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Like, whoa, where'd that come from? Be like if you were going into the football stadium in the Auburn section. 
And he went there, sat down in the Auburn section, and there was some guy sitting right beside him with his little Alabama hat, his little Alabama t-shirt, his little pom-pom, you know, roll tide. And he said, what are you doing here? You know, I've had that experience at Auburn games. <clears throat> I primarily included that for the enjoyment of my wife. But, um, <clears throat> but when you look at this verse, it's like, whoa, just, wait a second. You don't, you know, does this belong here in this psalm? Everything's, you know, exciting and joyful and singing birds. And then all of a sudden, you know, let, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Well, I think it's important that it's here because when we look at this psalm, when we look at all that we've seen in this psalm, we look at God's joy, we look at our joy in work, we look at the privilege we have to participate with the God of creation and new creation in our work. We look at God's zeal to reclaim and renew His creation and the beauty of that renewal. This inevitably brings confrontation. It exposes. It exposes that which is dug in against God and against the beauty of His work. That which defiles God's earth. That which defiles His loving work in us and through in us through the creation. The work of Father, Son, and Spirit always involves war. And I know, again, you're well taught in this congregation of this truth. 1 John 3, 8, For the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And so as we come to love God's work and our work in God and in Christ and in the Holy Spirit, we should be offended and grieved by that which stands against it, both in ourselves and in our industries and in our businesses and in others. The reason we read the Old Testament reading, Ezekiel 28, the Prince of Tyre, we see that he built beautiful ships and so he had incredible supply chain and manufacturing and great financial management. But why did he do it? He did it for his own glory. He did it, I'm sure, oppressing his workers and not caring about those workers. And so we're to hate that. And we're to want it to be consumed because it defiles the beauty of what God has made. As you grasp and pursue these things, one of the things I hope and that constantly is happening with me and the challenges God brings to me is God uses this to keep exposing things in me that fall short of God's wisdom and God's love and work. I see my pride, I see self-glory and desires to vindicate myself through work. Often I see laziness, I see fear in work that's often rooted in just self-concern as opposed to giving your heart to taking risk and doing the things God calls you to do. All of that sin infects you and I in our work, it infects our businesses, it infects our professions, it distorts and robs God of his glory and joy. And so we're to be grieved about that. Another important aspect of this being introduced at this point in the psalm is this. It makes clear that in our lives, in our world, in our hearts, there's no neutrality in this. In other words, if you're not consciously being shaped by God's work, by his view of work, by his anointing on us in his work, both through creation and through renewal, through the death and resurrection and lordship of Christ, if you're not actively thinking about those things, your mind and heart is going to be filled with other things that are counter to God's wisdom. And so this just is an important stress to say, you know what, there's no neutrality. I need to be really thinking. I need to look at my day and think, how many times today did I give praise to God? 
How many times a day did I run into a situation, I stopped and I just prayed and said, oh Lord, you're right here with me. You love this work. Give me wisdom on how to do this well, how to solve this problem, how to meet this need, how to work through this conflict. If we're not constantly doing that, then other things are at work in our heart and mind that will become the things that God one day will just burn up and consume and cast off like the chaff in our work and in our professions. And so it's important that the psalmist says this to remind us what's at stake and how serious it is, but the privilege we have to continue to learn and grow in these things. This is a beautiful, beautiful psalm. It shows us the glorious privilege of working unto God and the power of his renewing spirit to give us the strength and the life to work in this way to provide a witness of his love for his creation, his love for work, his love for his people. May God help us to more deeply know that joy, to more deeply enter into that joy and to spread that joy. Let's pray.